Welcome to Before You Go. I'm Nicole Franklin. And I'm Bryant Monte. And Bryant, our show, Before You Go, puts history on record through first-person accounts with those who live it. Yes, and you know, a lot of times, so much of our history is documented through art. Now, I had the chance to talk with Mr. Richard Press Sr. at the Art Institute of Virginia Beach, where he has some of his work on display. Mr. Press Sr., who is a renowned artist based in the Hampton Roads area of Virginia. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mr. Press. Yes, thank you. Thank you. It's really a pleasure to be here. You know, we were talking about the importance of art and how relevant it is to document our history. And you have some pieces that were documented in a recent documentary, USA Today. I guess they did a documentary back in 2019. I did about uh, three pieces to show USA Today. Nice. Uh, They came into the area during uh, the uh, July of 2019. And the reason that year is particularly interesting is because it marked the 400th uh, year since the African-Americans first arrived in, um, at Fort Monroe. 1619. Uh, so they, they came down in a team, actually, and uh, it was about 22 editors, and they were mm-hmm. uh, coming to canvas the area of where all this happened to see if there were any also um, relatives that may have been still here uh, from the first uh, African Americans that came over, and uh, they happened to uh, come into my gallery uh, one day, and they were surprised. They said we were told there were no black galleries around here. And I said, "Well, you're standing in one," and so mm-hmm. uh, that led to a commission mm-hmm. by USA Today for me to to present to them some type of painting that would symbolize uh, the African American experience when before the uh, slave ships came over and in the same painting to um to show that hey after they were enjoying their their life uh the next day they were headed toward a slave ship Mm. so i did Mm -hmm. a piece uh and i entitled it um here today and going tomorrow Mm. because basically that's what it was and the picture depicts african americans in a jubilant time uh, beating the drums dancing but in the same picture, there's a chain that kind of separates the whole painting. Mm-hmm. And below the chain, uh, you'll see uh, black figures, almost in a soul type rendition, headed toward a slave ship through the waters. And so when they looked at that, they, they said, well, we think that this depicts exactly what, what we want. Hmm. And so they, um, they used that piece in their documentary. It is in their documentary right now. That piece also came out in the uh, USA Today newspaper. I believe it was August 19th of 2019. Mm-hmm. And they ran it again in, in uh, 2020, in January 2020. So I was very fortunate to be in that position to be able to use my art to, to help tell a story that I thought was very significant in the African-American, not just the African-American history, but for the history of the whole country. So yes. if I wanted to learn more about Here Today, Gone Tomorrow, your, your beautiful piece, I love asking artists how long it actually took to paint it, because that's work. When people say, oh, it's so expensive, do you realize the time that goes into it from conception to you know, execution? Well, that's a very interesting question, because artists get asked that a lot. 
-hmm. And sometimes that question is difficult to answer because artists, serious working artists, a lot of times work on two, three, four paintings at a time. Mm -hmm. Oh, but there are some artists that actually sit down and document the time. They say, "Well, I'm starting on this at at five o'clock. I'm going to work on it for an hour, and they'll document it." So when somebody asks, "How long did it take you to do it?" Uh, if they say it took uh, a month, mm -hmm. they could be saying that it took five hours if they're working oh. on it one hour a week. So it's it's kind of mm -hmm. difficult. But I would say from the time that they asked me to do it until the time that I presented it, uh, it took approximately a month to finish that along with two other paintings. Wow. Yeah. So you're quite a prolific a prolific painter. <laughs> you're doing all of these at once. I take it once. very serious. I take it very serious. Mm -hmm. it's, it's painting is, um, well, not just painting, but it, you'll find that most of your arts are very, very therapeutic. Yes. Uh, and it's something that is really, really needed. The demand for art, even though it took a, a decline and most people would say that art is, you know, uh, the value of it is going down because people don't want it as much. Actually, in this time, I've found that there's a demand for art. Mm. People need something now mm -hmm. to leave the stress, the tension. People need space. Uh, when you come home from work and you put your head on the desk and, and, and you look up, you need something to look at. Hmm. You need something that's going to uh, to brighten your day. Mm -hmm. Agree. We hope that art will do that. Well, we hope that some types of art will do that. But if you look up and you see sharecroppers or cotton fields, that might not be something to brighten your day, but it but it's educational. And right. It's something that reminds you of uh, some of the things that we need to do to to get past the, that thought pattern. Yeah. Motivational. If we go back to the time when you first learned about art. How far back do you, do you take this? Skill? I first learned about it uh, when I was in uh, probably uh, in seventh grade, seventh, eighth grade. My oldest brother, Pearlie, was uh, a profound artist. He taught himself how to paint. He taught himself how to play the guitar. And mm. he was a very, very talented individual. I was, well, we were getting ready to go out to play and um, my brother Pearlie was setting up an easel and I stopped and I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to paint this horse. I couldn't see it. I said, where's the horse? So he showed me this little tiny picture of a horse. I said, well, you know, you're going to paint that on that big piece of uh, paper. He said, yes. And I looked at his palette, which I didn't know the terminology of palette at the time. But I said, the horse is brown. And he said, yes. I said, well, you don't have brown down here. He said, I'm going to make brown. <laughs> so I decided to, instead of going out to play, I decided to stand there and find out he, how he was going to make brown. And sure enough, he did. I kind of watched the whole process. I think that was my first motivation mm -hmm. uh, to paint. Is Pearlie named after someone? That's such an interesting name. Yes, he's named after uh, my father. So my brother is Pearlie Press III. My father is Pearlie Press Jr. His father is Pearlie Press Sr. So there's three Pearlies. You know, I'm from the Eastern Shore, mm -hmm. uh, Cape Charles and Cheriton. That name is... Uh, it's it's kind of you know it's not too odd to have that mm -hmm. name over in that on the eastern shore. Oh, okay. So you saw the play, the Pearly Victorious. Yeah, Pearly Victorious. <laughs> it comes to mind. <laughs> Go ahead and sing the song, uh, Nicole. Pearly. <laughs> Yo, on. you got it. Pearly. You got it right. You sing it. <laughs> 
<laughs> when you say Eastern Shore, that's North Carolina. Where exactly is Eastern Shore? Most people, when you when you talk about the Eastern Shore, most people will uh, automatically refer to Maryland mm. and Delaware. Okay, but actually. Uh, they're missing the whole boat, okay? Um, <laughs> as soon as you cross the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel, when you get on the other side, that is the Eastern Shore. And the reason why most people don't relate to that is because you don't see anything. All you see is highway. Oh. Um, going straight up from um, uh, from the bridge tunnel, all almost until you get to Salisbury, Maryland, you don't see anything. Mm -hmm. But actually, there's a lot of rich history on the Eastern Shore. All you have to do is make a right or left-hand turn, and it's going to take you to the historic places on the Eastern Shore. Number one, it's a peninsula, a peninsula mm -hmm. which is a piece of land that's surrounded by three uh, sections of water. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can basically say we grew up around the water. Um, nice. so, so that part of the Eastern Shore is the part that I'm from. When I grew up, I, I, we made our money by working in the fields. Mm -hmm. uh, we worked in tomato fields, uh, potato fields, bean fields. And at the time, we, we thought it was great because during the summer, that was the way we got money to uh, buy our clothes. Wow. <laughs> or to go into town on, the, on Saturdays to be able to buy mm -hmm. this or to be able to buy that. Right. And uh, when the summer was over... You know, our mother gave us a, a catalog and said, here's, here's an Alden's catalog or a Sears catalog. Mm -hmm. And uh, here's how much money you have saved from the summer. You can go through and order your own clothes. So she taught us a business aspect of, uh, of working as well. Mm -hmm. my, my brother Pearlie would use some of his money to buy art supplies. <laughs> I wasn't that thoughtful. Uh, I figured if he would buy them, I would use them. Right. <laughs> and uh, save me some money. <laughs> and that's what I did. Little that's brother. a business. That's a business move. Yeah. <laughs> so who was the better artist, would you all say? <laughs> My brother Pearlie, um, and people find this hard to believe when I tell them that he was just as good or better than Michelangelo. Wow. And when I say that, people say, oh, yeah, of course, of course he was. But he was. The aesthetics that he had in his paintings, the way he mixed colors with a limited palette, uh, it was just amazing. He did religious paintings. And, and the fact is that all of his paintings are gone. There's, there's nothing around to show the work that he, that he did. I have one picture, a photograph picture of a painting that he did, which is very obscure. Mm -hmm. And I told myself that that was not gonna happen to me. And, you know, it's going to be hard for people to erase uh, three or 400 paintings that I've done. Uh, mm. So he, he continued, even though he has passed, he mm -hmm. continues to, to be my model, my role model in painting. Beautiful. And in art in general. I'm curious, how did the horse painting turn out? It was fantastic. He used colors in it that uh, greens and purples. And I asked him, what, what do you see green? And he said, well, you have to look closely. He said, look at your hand. Mm. And we may look at our hand and just see basically, you know, a, a particular hue. But if you look closer, you'll see things that uh, you don't normally notice, like the veins coming down your arm. You'll see the green, green veins and the purple. So he would tell me to start off with mm. red, 
well, start off with the bones. Learn how the bones are structured mm-hmm. in your body and put a circle wherever there is a joint. Oh. And after you put the circle where there's a joint, then connect those circles with line, two lines. And basically what you're doing then, you're constructing the skeleton of the body. Mm-hmm. So he would say, well, what, what comes after that? Well, you have blood. So, so, so paint, paint the body red because you know the blood is there, it's underlined. So how do you get the brown? And then he taught me how to mix green and red to get brown. Uh, and then you start adding lights and darks and you start getting these realistic things that really can scare a person. Mm-hmm. It can scare a person because things start to come to life for you. And when you look at the, the painting that you finished or the body that you just painted, you know that you have started that body from the roots Mm-hmm. Even though you might not be able to see uh, everything that was there, uh, you know that as an artist that you have put it in there and right. it's up to conform the body. As you're an educator, you've, you've taught in the high schools and college level. Um, matter of fact, you taught at uh, Booker T. Washington in Norfolk. Yes, I did. Yes. <laughs> what, what was that experience like and what inspired you to do that to teach young people? Well, it, it was fantastic. I have... Um, even before I started teaching, I had a 32-year um, retail management experience wow. um, <laughs> uh, it, that I retired from. And uh, when I was going to Norfolk State, well, just before I went to Norfolk State, I, I got a scholarship from my high school uh, to attend college. Uh, and that scholarship was $10. It came from a lady named Ms. Bragg. Uh, everybody was calling, <laughs> calling out the scholarship uh, recipients. And uh, I was surprised that I got one when my name came up, said Richard Press, uh, $10 scholarship from Ms. Bragg. <laughs> so, you know, some people may adjust to that, but I thought it was pretty cool. That's very and cool. I moved to Hampton after that, and I think I spent like $18 to go back to pick up the $10 from the, uh, from the office. <laughs> but um, I saw a need when I was in high school for, uh, for better art representation mm-hmm. in the educational system. And when I got to Norfolk State, my, my parents, you know, they, they paid a lot of the money uh, that I needed for art supplies. Mm. It wasn't like I could go work in the fields anymore. Uh, so they, they did a lot. And so I went to Norfolk State. And after about two and a half, maybe close to three years, I decided to come out of Norfolk State so that I could actually make some money and stop depending on my parents. And um, uh, I was just going to stay up for maybe a semester or two. Well, that that little break wound up being 32 years. But it was it was nice because in that 32 year mm-hmm. period, I was able to find a wife and uh, have a, a family of two sons. And after I had um, finished my retail experience, mm-hmm. my father had already passed and my mother was still living. And I thought that I owed it to her, if nobody else, to go back and to finish my degree because even though my father couldn't you know, see the benefits of what he did for me, my mother was still living. Mm-hmm. And so I went back to Norfolk State and actually, you know, without having to get a loan, which is great, and I finished Norfolk State. But when I did, I went back in education oh. with the sole purpose of coming out to, to help someone else. Now, during my retail experience, I worked, I, I taught a lot of, lot of kids, I volunteered in just about every community center in Hampton. 
I, I gave art classes and at the church mm-hmm. uh, it was on a volunteer basis. So when I graduated, I was asked if I would like to go teach at this school called Kinkatan. Kinkatan was a, uh, you know, uh, a gifted, mm-hmm. a gifted school mm-hmm. uh, for gifted students. And I was going to do that. And the lady from Booker T. Washington um, asked me, said, you know, why don't you come teach at Booker T? I said, well, they already have it planned for me to go to Kinkatan. Mm-hmm. And she said, Mr. Press, they can do anything they want to. You can change. I said, okay. And so I found out, I said, which school needs a male model the most? Which school has the most problems? And they said, exactly. Booker T. Washington High School. And okay. I said, well, that's the one that I want to be at. Mm-hmm. And I found it to be, I'm, it's, it's one of the greatest experiences of my life because you're going into a system that already has a mark on it. Hmm. And, and you're going in as an art teacher, which I thought was, was very good because in art, you can teach so many things. You can inspire so many students. You can put students on, a, on an equal plane. Right. Put those students that are considered to be special ed students on an equal plane with those students who are considered to be A students. And it didn't make any difference. Once you were in art class, it was your um, it was your time to express yourself. It was your time to um, to get rid of some of the stress and to be able to tell your story, learning the elements and the principles of art. And the same time being able to use those elements and principles to express how you're feeling about the situation. One of the assignments that I gave my students was I taught them how to draw a basic tree. And once they learned to draw, draw the tree, I asked them to, now on one side of the tree, I want the branches to come out and I want you to put all the relatives of your mo- on your mother's side. Beautiful. On the other side, I want you to put all the relatives on, on your father's side. <laughs> so uh, they said, well, they don't know who they are. I said, well, get on the phone. Well, we're not supposed to take our cell phones out in class. Well, that's true, but this is going to be an exception. You take your cell phones out and you call your parents, you call your aunts, your grandmothers. And they said, well, they're at work. I said, well, interrupt them. (laughs) And when you came into the classroom, you thought you were at a um, a Verizon call center. And the principal (laughs) happened to come in the class at that time. And he asked me, why were all the students' phones out? And I said, because this is part of their project. Yeah. They're getting, they're, they're learning who their family is. And uh, even though, you know, it was an exception, but I was a rogue and I was a rogue. <laughs> I would do things that, the, the kid's going to use phones anyway. You might as well try right. to find a way to use it that's helpful. Mm-hmm. I love it also because there is an urgency to knowing the family tree. That's and true. that's what you proved in that lesson. That's true. And, mm-hmm. and you could, I walked around the room to see if anybody was abusing the phone. Mm-hmm. All I heard was, mom, I didn't, I, well, I didn't know he was my uncle. I was hearing things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were talking to their grandmas. And when the project was over, they presented their trees. And I would say about 85 to 90% of the pictures that they showed was very, very heavy on the mm-hmm. mother's side mm-hmm. and very, very light on the father's side. Some of them didn't even have a father's side because they didn't know who their father was. Mm-hmm. But the tree told the story. And mm-hmm. not just for them, but it told the story for me. It, it, it gave me a, another starting point in my mm-hmm. lessons. So uh, those things, those type of things were very heartfelt, very emotional, but not just the students, but for myself. 
and I really felt like I was there f- for a purpose. Mm-hmm. I feel like going back. <laughs> <laughs> How important is it to uh, teach kids the essence or the disciplines of art? It's very important, not just not just for a grade, but just in everyday life. When you're talking about two aspects of art, you're talking about mm-hmm. the elements. Uh, the elements is one aspect of art. And when we talk about elements, we're talking about just basic things. For example, line, color, space, uh, shape, things of that nature, uh, texture, how things feel. Those are the elements. But, you know, just learning what the elements are really doesn't do much for you. It just gives Mm -hmm. you a good memory that this is what the element is. Maybe write it down and and get a grade. Mm -hmm. But knowing how to apply the elements into a, a painting composition is where the rubber meets the road. For example, if you go to the store and you buy a uh, the, all the ingredients to make a cake, well, that's great, but that doesn't make you a cook. Only thing you've done is just made, you just brought the elements. You come home and you set them on the counter, the cake is still not mm-hmm. made. So when the rubber meets the road is when you start putting those elements into the bowl and actually making the cake. Mm-hmm. The same thing with art. You can go out and you can buy your brushes, you can buy your, your paints and all that. That does not do anything for you. Uh, you can learn that, hey, yeah, uh, when the light comes on, uh, everything in the room takes value because the colors start coming to them. But that doesn't do anything for a composition. So mm-hmm. what we call the elements is that's that part. Where the rubber meets the road is the principles, contrast, balance. How are you going to balance the picture? How are you going to make the picture come to life? How, how are you going to uh, unify the picture, which is what we call unity, okay? How are you going to make the picture flow? How are you going to have a stronger composition? So these things are important in teaching the student the elements and the principles. If everybody did the same thing and followed the same rules, you'd have the same composition, basically. Mm-hmm. So you want right. to be able to have them, when they graduate from high school, and they get their jobs and they're standing around a water fountain talking to their colleagues, you want them to be able to have some basic knowledge of art and art history. We don't want them to be the, the person that's just listening. Right. We want them to be the person who is contributing to a conversation. That's not to say now that you don't have a formal education in art, that you're not gonna be a great artist because everybody can have their own style and they will learn such as my brother did. Mm-hmm. I was about to say, he sounded self-taught. Is that true? He sounded self-taught, mm-hmm. yeah, up to, up to a certain point. But, but, you know, when he got into high school and he started taking art, he had his people that encouraged him, Mr. Jack Johnson and people like that. You nice. know, once we get started, it's always great to have somebody behind us to push us. And the person that you get your support from, you never know where that support is coming from. Absolutely. A lot of people think it's coming from your family. Uh, that's not always true. Uh, we say that just because somebody has your last name don't mean they got your back. Right. <laughs> so find inspiration from anywhere. And a lot of times from children. <laughs> right. Because children are going to tell you the truth. back with more from Mr. Richard Press Sr., who's from the Hampton Roads area. I mean, you're teaching these students in high school. What do you remember them telling you after that experience they had in your class that really stuck with you? Well, not only what they were telling me, but what they're still telling me. Hmm. My students, I've been 
taught now for what, seven, eight years, I guess. And I'm still getting uh, pictures uh, from my students asking me to critique their work. Wow. I think they found in their art teacher, who was me, and not just <laughs> me, there was another art teacher, her name was Miss Elliot, uh, a, a trustworthiness that they could come to us and be truthful. They could be frank. They could, they needed a, an ear. Okay, it's hard to go to like a math teacher and say, I want to express this to you and so forth. And um, not putting down math teachers, but you know, mm -hmm. there are structured, um, structured classes that children have to learn certain formulas and so forth. But in art class, they can kind of pull it out in a, in a way that's artistic that says, okay, I want to put this in my picture and this is the reason why I'm doing it. Then all of a sudden, a story opens up. Yeah, at one young lady who uh, who who cussed all the time, all the time, and I, I was not one that was quick to send somebody to the uh, to the office or write a referral, but I found out that I had better success with the students when I talked to them about it. And I said, "Well, I, you know, I need to call your mother." You know, she said, well, "Okay, you can call my mother," but she told me it was okay. Oh. <laughs> so I called the mother, and uh, the mother was. Uh, she used more profanity than the child. And oh. uh, uh, she said, yes, she said that she tells her children that they can use profanity because it's the real world, you know. Goodness. So her mother came to a PTA meeting and I just kind of expressed how I felt about it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the same thing about art. Yes, you know you can do this, okay? But the decision to do it and when to do it has got to be paramount. And you have to look at the setting that you're in, how it's going to affect your life, and so forth. So there were a lot of situations like that. I had one group of students that came to me and asked me, um, they were um, gay, gay, gay pride students. Mm -hmm. And they said they couldn't find a teacher that would let them uh, meet uh, in, in their classroom. Uh, so my first expression was, it's, is your organization recognized by this school? Mm -hmm. And yes, it was. So I checked with the principal. Principal says, yes, they're recognized. They just have to have somebody that will let them meet. I said, mm -hmm. well, fine. The, the days that I stay back after school, they can meet in my room. Self-express. It's those things that, that, that form they trust, not from just that group of students, but when mm -hmm. the other students hear about it, they, they tend to formulate a, a trust in their teacher. Yes. Did, did the girl stop uh, cussing so much? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, she did. Good. Uh, <laughs> well, around you, she got Around you. <laughs> and, and the mom. <laughs> I mean, I could hear her down the hall, you know, but when she got in the class, it was a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my mouth is like a sailor sometimes. So <laughs> I can relate, but look, there are appropriate spaces for that. But mom, wow, she was surprising. But it does come from the home. Um, a lot yeah yeah because I was thinking about when you were talking about having the ingredients my mind just went to and I hadn't thought about it in a while one summer I spent with my grandmother who's been deceased now for a couple of decades but um, we spent the whole summer baking cakes she so showed me how to bake cakes we baked nine cakes and true had I been on my own it would have turned out a certain way but it was that special time with her and her showing me how she measures things and how long she leaves it in and things like that. 
And I think the root of, you know, even this, the root of this show is about family. It's about uh, learning family, learning history, understanding that. And I think it's pretty cool how you brought in art Very to bring so. about those things for young people uh, that they can explore whatever they're going through, whatever they've been subject to growing up. Have you seen where this has been therapeutic and has actually helped them work through some things, whether it's trauma or difficulties or different challenges that they faced? How has art impacted them in a way that nothing else could? Let's say, for example, you're having, you're having a conversation with your parents and they're just jumping on you left and right mm-hmm. and all you could do is stand there and take it. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a room that you can go to that you don't have to take it. It's it's a room maybe upstairs and you get into that room and you feel like somebody has just let the air out of a balloon and you feel, okay, finally, I'm, I'm here by myself and I don't have to take this. Well, art is something like that. Yeah. And that uh, as much as things are going on around you and even if you're not a person who is, is um, a verbally uh, challenged you can go to your place and you can sit down with your art and you can say, this, this is my solace. This is my place. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do something that, um, that pleases me. Okay. If anybody's going to criticize me, it's going to be myself. And that's just going to make me a better person. I think that sometimes we look at, at our youth. We don't give them the credit for their intelligence. Right. And you can see it a lot. You, you'll see some youth that are extraordinarily talented. They can get out there and they can play the violin and they can play the oboe and, and they, they can dance. And, and we, we call them super talented. But, but when we, we start looking at, you know, how, how did they get to this level? We, we realized that they, there was somebody around them that believed in them and that influenced them. And that kept motivating them. Mm-hmm. Most of the very young children that I ask, and I ask them all the time, I say, are you an artist? And they were up to 98, 99% of them would say, yes, I'm an artist. Oh. Okay. Even if they just put a line on a piece of paper, they're an artist. <laughs> and wow. so that is our beginning point. Yeah. That is our beginning point. The, the positive attitude that they are an artist now becomes incumbent upon us to continue to nurture that opinion that they have of them of themselves. And once we do that, we're gonna see them grow. We're gonna we're gonna see them grow from a scratch stage to a scribble stage mm. to a sketching stage. And then they're gonna start drawing their, their mothers and their fathers. And we're gonna to continue to motivate them and we're gonna say, yes, that's great, that's great. Are you gonna give her a nose? You know, that's that's your little critique. Are you going to give yeah. her a nose? Are you, oh, wow. Does she have any eyebrows? Oh, that's great. So you keep <laughs> motivating them. But what I found out that there's a lot of kids that have the talent and all of a sudden they have pandered off. And why is that? Mm-hmm. You know, why is that? Because maybe they weren't motivated enough. Uh-huh. We have to start picking up the crumbs when we find them instead of trying to wait for the loaf of bread down the road that's never going to happen. Because yeah. when we do, uh, well, you're going to get respect as a, as a motivator, number one, but you're really going to help someone. Mm-hmm. Um, how did Mr. Copeland become the great dancer that she is? You know, uh, Basquiat, how did he become, 
you know, one of the artists who sold the the most expensive piece ever sold, $110 million. Yeah. He kept going. His girlfriend uh, motivated him. His mother motivated him. He painted on everything that he could find. He painted on the buildings, the walls, which we owe him a lot of credit. I've asked him a lot of credit for um, the rise in graffiti. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, graffiti has taken on a new look now across yeah. the country. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because um, it's, we finally realized that graffiti is a a fine art it is a type of it truly art, is. Yeah. and it tells a story it tells a story yeah. i have always loved graffiti and i know it's always been condemned but when i used to take the train to new york and i would get to up to the dc area and so forth i would see all these all this graffiti on the wall and i said well you know these are some great artists they're not just <laughs> drawing on the walls they're putting shadows where they belong and they're being artistic and then i found out that uh Bascout was doing the same thing and um, nobody knew who he was. He was signing his name Samo right. until somebody finally found out who Samo was. And as long as you have somebody backing you, motivating you, and mm -hmm. as a teacher, that's what we're supposed to do. I wanted to ask also, did art ever rescue you from a bad situation? You yes. mentioned, yeah. In high school it did. Myself and another friend named Marvin, my cousin, uh, he was a really, really good artist. I used to model after him. Uh, kids in the school would get us to to draw things for them. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so and we would charge them, you know, a dollar, two dollars just to sketch something. So one time a kid brought something to school and it was a, a, a picture from Playboy magazine. Oh. And said, can you draw this for me? I said, well, you know, yeah. I mean, it, you got to realize back in that day, every everything was kind of grotesque. You know, it's just, it was nothing compared to today. Yeah. <laughs> so I drew the picture in pencil and um, I made the mistake of leaving it under my desk in a book. And oh, I was no. in choir rehearsal and someone came in and said, uh, Richard, uh, the principal wants to see you in the office. I, oh, no. Said, OK, so I went to the office and I got to the office and Mr. Brickhouse said, you know, press, she said, as long as I've been principal at this school, I have never had to call a press family member into my office. And I said, wow, that's great. And he says, uh, did you draw this? Oh. And without hesitation, I said, yes. He said, you know, you could get expelled for this. I said, why? And I told him, I said, Mr. Brickhouse, well, you know, in a situation like this, you have to be forthcoming. I said, Mr. Brickhouse, <laughs> so. you know that I'm an artist. You know that I'm getting ready to go to college. Mm -hmm. And would you like for me to be in college, to be behind the rest of the students? Because my high school principal did not believe that people in art should draw anatomy. And I guess that argument was was good enough for him because- <laughs> Clever. Uh, he let me go. And, uh, yeah. That was the first time I think art hmm. uh, or being into art actually kind of rescued me. But I, I do remember being very, I was very nervous, but I was very forthcoming and, and deliberate. Hmm. And, and as I think back on it, you know, I don't regret any of it because it was true. Now we're celebrating Juneteenth and your artwork is on display at the different places in the Virginia Beach area. You know, the significance of Juneteenth, thinking about the history, and now we're incorporating art to document some of that history. How important is that? I think it's very, very important. Art, of course, you know, to me is, you know, one of the, one of the best recordings of history, especially as, as far as Juneteenth is concerned, 
when you think about Juneteenth, a lot of people don't really know what happened or why we celebrate or commemorate Juneteenth. And uh, when you think about it from six, uh, 1619 up until 1863, uh, mm-hmm. the African-American was uh, in, enslaved. Yes. We did not have an opportunity to show our intelligence. We did not have an opportunity to uh, show how talented we were. And then in 1863, you know, we, we get this big boost, uh, mm-hmm. the Emancipation Proclamation. Mm-hmm. It's 1863, Lincoln declared that all states, you know, uh, were to discontinue slavery. Well, all the states did, except for Texas. For some reason, Texas didn't either didn't get the message or they uh, uh, deliberately held on to slavery until mm-hmm. federal troops were ordered to go down to Texas and to, to take a hold of that situation. But that didn't happen until 1865. And you'll find that there are a lot of artists who do renditions to try to keep us reminded who we are and where we are. We're still not where we should be. Almost, you talked about the, that tribe, the Almost tribe. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Uh, there's a tribe in southern Ethiopia. They're called the the Omo. They're from the Mercy um, Mercy tribe. Uh, they call them the Omos because uh, there's a river that runs through uh, southern Ethiopia mm-hmm. uh, called the Omo River, Omo mm-hmm. River Valley. These people are very artistic, probably some of the most artistic people you want to see. Their bodies are the canvas. It's some of the most beautiful work I've seen as far as face painting, body painting. One of the things that was detriment to them that still is, is their lack of rain. Uh, they get very little oh. rain uh, in their part of the, the country. They sort of worship their, their cattle because the cattle provides their, their, their workhorse, their work tools. The cattle provides their food. So one day a bull got loose and they couldn't find the bull. And they, um, uh, when the bull finally came back to the camp, bull, the bull had uh, mud on his feet. And they figured wherever there's mud, there's mud, there must be water. So they traced down where the bull was and they came across this river. And they have been living on that river you know, ever since. Um, one of the things that's, that's hardening to their tribe is they had a superstition. It was called a, a minge a Menge superstition. A Menge was a child that was born and as it started to grow, the top teeth would come in before the bottom teeth and they felt that that was a curse to the land. So they um, eliminated that child. But as as fate would have it, one of the elders had a son that uh, would be considered a Menge. And of course this elder uh, did not want this child to um, be killed. So he sent him away and the child went away and became educated and, and really kind of found the misunderstanding of Menges. So he came back and he would talk to them and talk to the elders. He had to be very, very careful because when, you, when you're going against the elders and you're trying to tell them that they've been doing something wrong for years and years and years, then you face losing your life. They gave him an opportunity. They said, well, you know what? If it rains tonight, then we will believe you. And the reason they oh used rain is because rain was so scarce. Sometimes they would go months without rain. So, um, but if, if, 
uh, if it doesn't rain, then we'll know that, that what you're saying is not right and he could face death. It rained that night. It was a thunderstorm that night. And uh, so they have discontinued that practice. And so this young man that, um, that did this, now he, he sort of travels the country and he tells a story about the Omos. So I decided to do a series of paintings uh, based on the Omo tribe and the way they do their, um, their body. Mr. Press, thank you so much for being on our show and we look forward to seeing more of your work. Please visit Richard Press online gallery on Facebook and experience his powerful work. Be sure to visit us for more rich history at BeforeYouGo.tv. That's our website, BeforeYouGo.tv. And thank you all for listening to us here on KBLA Talk 1580. And before we go... We want to remind everyone that stories like these are sometimes closer than you think. So let's take the time to get to know those who have paved the way. There's no time like the present. What What a a gift. gift.